0: Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Jesus, we are walking through the Gospel of Mark to discover the answer to the question, who is this man? Our speaker today is Senior Minister Evie Bacon. Speaking of action, my family have a strict watch watch D.D., watch Dad policy regarding consumption of coffee. I'm only allowed pretty much one cup a day, and it has to be in the morning. I'm not allowed to drink coffee after lunch. I have the metabolism of a hummingbird. So if you put high-octane caffeinated beverage in me, all of a sudden things go crazy. And so I'm allowed one cup. But if I have more than one cup, one or, heaven forbid, three, (laughs) bad things happen. I get a little crazy. I start speaking uh, really quick, and there is a times where there's a, like a, a switch that flips in me, and I become really aggressive, forceful, and impatient with people. I get a serious case of the aggressive grumpies when I have too much coffee, and so many times when I'm behaving badly, my family will look at me and say, did you have coffee? Just the other day, we were at dinner, and the family was around the table, and a couple of my kids were there, and we were going about it. And I, and I have to confess, I, I was being not very nice. I was being aggressive. I was being short. I was cutting people off in the conversation uh, to the point where I wasn't acting very well, and I had to confess my sin. <laughs> I had to apologize because the missus gave me the look. You know, when the guys, you know what I'm talking about? When you get the look, it's like, oh, settle down, Didi. Settle down. And so I apologize to the family. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't mean. I'm so sorry. I don't know what's coming on. I'm stressed. I'm tired, and I had three cups of coffee. <laughs> to which my son Andrew says, "Probably you should have started with the three cups of coffee in your confession, Dad, because that makes complete sense. It makes complete sense. Isn't it good to go into life and things are happening and things are." going on, and you're like, what is going on? And then all of a sudden you become aware of the reason why they are the way they are. I like coming to those moments where you say, oh, that makes complete sense. That works. That explains why things are the way they are. May not fix it, but okay, that makes sense. You know, as I read the Bible, as I read God's Word, as I become aware of the communications that have come from God to individuals and have been recorded and contained for us in the pages of what we call the Bible, the Old and New Testament. What I've become more and more aware of as the years that go by is that the Bible helps me make sense of this world. The more I see God, be aware of God's Word, it begins to really make sense to me. It explains why we are the way we are. It helps me understand why relationships work the way they do and what's good about them and what's not good about them. If I look around at what's going on in the world and I see the things happening and some things are good and some things are not, the Bible helps make sense of all of it. Take, for instance, the book of Genesis, the story of beginnings, talking about the creation of man. What do we discover? We discover that human beings are both spiritual and physical. It says, God formed man out of the dust of the earth and breathed life. The word there literally is breathe, but it's the same word of spirit. And what we've discovered is that God created us to be both physical, spiritual beings. We are both physical and spiritual at the same time. There's a part of us that's physical. You can see it. You can touch it. You can measure it. You can weigh it. There's something that's present in this physical realm. But then there's stuff about us that's unseen. That's very much real. But you can't see it because it's spiritual. There's an outside world and an inside world, if you'd like. There's a world where you can touch, and then there's a world of thoughts and feelings, and that thing that the Ecclesiastes writer says, that eternity set in the hearts of men. There's that, that spiritual thing about us. We're both spiritual and we're both physical. That's the life we live and what we do to the physical affects the spiritual, and what happens in the spiritual affects the physical. You can't separate the two. You can't do something with your body and not think it is going to not affect your, your inner world, and you can't have things going on in your inner world and not know that it's going to manifest itself in your body. That's how God created us. And so the story of Scripture makes sense to explain why human beings are the way they are. I think this really comes to light when dealing with the bad stuff of life, things we could call evil. The Bible defines evil as anything that goes counter to the way God intended the world to run. God, the Creator, set the world by rules that come from who He is, from His character. So... We know that God speaks the truth. He never tells a lie. Therefore, we have the law of honesty. And if we violate the law of honesty by lying, we commit evil. And we deal with evil in every part of our existence. We deal with evil in the spiritual. We deal with evil in in the physical. And then we deal with evil's ultimate destination in death. See, death is the consequence of evil. It is the eternal separation because of we have a God of law. It's the eternal consequence of violating the law of God. It's what a just God has to do. And so death is the ultimate destination of our physical, spiritual evil, se- separation. And we all deal with that in our lives. Just reflect on the past month. Think about your struggles. I think about my spiritual struggle. I think about that line that goes, one of the worst things in life is the lies we tell ourselves, because that becomes the source, that becomes the source of so much pain. Why am I arguing with my wife? Well, I'm arguing with my wife because I believe a lie. That lie is that I am somehow more in touch. My perspective is superior. My viewpoint is more on point than hers. Broke the cardinal rule of marriage, right? The cardinal rule of marriage is the guy is always wrong. <laughs> but really, the lies we tell ourselves become the source of why we are prideful and why we are obstinate and why we get into things In a nasty way, we justify our actions because of the lies we tell ourselves that put us in a more superior place that justify our actions. That's a spiritual struggle, and I think about that, and I think about that's something I dealt with this past month. In the physical realm, many of us can relate to this. Chills, fever, achy body, I pride myself in not getting sick, but I, like, get sick once every five years, and just about three weeks ago, I believe I had the flu. I had fever. I didn't feel well. I got up, and my body said, go back down, boy, and I did. A week of struggle with that, and then after that, I had some kind of sinus thing going on. I toll First Service, please forgive me if this sounds weird, but... I was being woken up on a regular basis with some kind of clicking that was going on in my sinuses. I would open my mouth and it would be like, click, click, click. I'm like, what is going on in my head? And I had that for two weeks. All of these were reminders of the reality that I deal with evil in my physical. I deal with problems because of the condition of sin in the world in my physical. And of course, we are, who doesn't deal with death. Every single one of us, no matter what your age, is going to deal with death. This past month has seen a number of funerals that we have had to be part of at Mount Carmel Christian Church, from the high-profile funeral of Detective Brewer that was facilitated here to to some very uh, sad goodbyes to dearly beloved members of our church family. We deal with the reality that we struggle against the evil of death. Loved ones pass away. Individuals that we're aware of pass away, friends and family. We deal with maybe a personal fear that perhaps one day we will die, and, and we struggle with that. We deal with that. The Bible says is that the consequences of sin manifests itself in the spiritual, in the physical, and ultimately death. But the good news is is that Jesus came into the world to overcome evil. And the testimony of those individuals who were with Jesus, they lived with him, they witnessed what he did, and they heard what he said, and they recorded that faithfully, in what we call the Gospels, like the Gospel of Mark that we've been going through, the witness is, is that Jesus came into the world, the Son of God, God in human flesh, as Rick likes to say, God-man came into this world and he had a mission. And that mission was to destroy the work of evil, to destroy the work of evil in the spiritual, to destroy the work of evil in the physical. And ultimately, the, 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 the main goal was to destroy the work of evil because in death the ultimate destination of evil. And it's the witness of these Gospels that force us to come to a place where we must decide, do we accept what Jesus offers? Do we receive it? Do we believe it? Now, we've been working through the Gospel of Mark, and today, if you look in your bullets, and you'll see there's a study that we encourage you to, to, to use personally as you do your own reading, as you do your own reflection. Uh, we're encouraging our small group leaders to, to use that as part of what they're going to do with their small group so that we're all on the same page, so we're all in this journey together, uh, seeking Jesus and, and, and being confronted with the realities of who He is so that we make a decision uh, rightly grounded in our faith, But the testimony of Mark tells us a story of three encounters where we see the power of Jesus at work to overcome evil. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 43. The chapter begins with Jesus and his apostles getting in their boats and going from what you would call the Jewish side of the Lake of Galilee to the non-Jewish side. And the reason they're doing that is that they're getting away from the crowd. They need a break. They need some time to reflect, time to rest, time to, to just recharge their batteries. And so what they do is they, they move to a place where they know that the crowds will not follow them. And the story of Mark says that Jesus and his disciples, his apostles, they go across the lake and they go to this region called Gennesarenes, and it's a region that's where non-Jewish folk live, Gentiles live, and when they get there, they have an encounter with a scary individual, a man who lives amongst the graveyards. He lives in a cemetery. He's a man that's out of his mind because he's possessed by demons. And he comes running towards Jesus, and the demons take over. You know, the sign of Satan is Satan is a possessor. He's not a fellowshiper. The work of God is by fellowship and cooperation. The work of the enemy is by control and possession. And so a demon-possessed person is one who has been controlled by an evil spiritual entity, the ultimate in an evil spiritual condition, and this man comes running up, being controlled by the demons within him, and the demons speak out through him and say, what do you want from us, son of God? Are you come to destroy us? And there's a confrontation in which, you know, the man, Jesus says, no, that's enough. And he asks him, what's your name? And you find out that this is not a man possessed by one evil spirit, but many. His name is Legion, Legion, Legion. Roman military term referring to to many soldiers, over a hundred. This man is filled with evil spirits. And these evil spirits crying out to Jesus, acknowledging that he is the Son of God, a power greater than, than anything they, they could ever have. And, and, and so in this conversation, Jesus is going to cast them out, and they beg that, that Jesus would cast them out into this herd of, of pigs, another clue that they were in a non-Jewish region. <laughs> these are not kosher, right? And Jesus Permits them to go into the pigs and out of the man, and they fill the pigs, and the pigs are driven crazy and run off the edge of a cliff into the water, and the man, we said, is restored to full health, to full health. People are in that region ask Jesus and his disciples to leave. You, ask, you wonder, why did they ask him to leave? Well, probably because of the economic impact of losing 2,000 pigs. They're like, dude, if you stay around here, we're going to lose everything we own, so you better get out of here. Man says, can I come with you? Jesus says, no, no. You go to your own people. Obviously, this man was a non-Jew. You go to your own people and you tell them, you tell them everything that God has done for you. How the Lord has shown you mercy. Jesus has power to overcome evil in the spiritual. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus and his disciples get into their boat. They go across back to the other side, to the to the Jewish side. They're met with the crowd, as typically happens when they find out Jesus, the miracle worker. Remember, he's at the height of his popularity at this time. They go to the other side. When, when Jesus gets there, crowds all around them. One individual in particular comes before Jesus, a man named Jairus. He's the synagogue ruler, we're told. He's the the preacher of the church, he's in charge of facilitating the worship of God as Jews in the city. He's a, in, the, in the town, and so he's a pretty significant guy, and his daughter is dying. His daughter is deathly ill, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, please come see my girl. Heal her. Hurry, please. Jesus says, Okay. They began to walk, and there's a huge crowd that's gathered around Jesus. And in the crowd is this woman. She's been ill for 12 years, we're told. She has a bleed that won't stop. And you've got to understand, in that culture, bleeding, in the way she was bleeding, meant that she was unclean. She was considered ceremonially segregated. She had to be away from everything that involved normal life And so here she was, it says, she's been bleeding for 12 years and no doctor could come up with a cure. She had tried everything and she was in the crowd and she she was wondering, what do I do? And she thought, well, if I can just sneak in and just touch him and touch his robe, I know I will be well. And so in the midst and press of the crowd, she she sticks her hand out and she touches the, the cloak of Jesus, the robe of Jesus, and boom, the bleeding stops and she's cured. Jesus stops and says he felt the power go from him. And he looks around and he says, Okay, who touched me? And his apostles, his disciples say, Come on, Jesus. <laughs> dude, I don't know if they said dude, but they said, Come on, Jesus. <laughs> Everyone, we're in a big tie. Everyone's touching you. Come on, man. Jesus, No, someone touched me. Begins to scour around in the crowd, looking, 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 and boom, there she is. Says she was so afraid. She came forward and she told him what happened. And Jesus, with compassion, I'm sure, smiled and said, Your faith has made you well. Be in peace. Jesus has power to overcome evil in the physical. Perhaps because of the delay of this encounter with the woman, it turned out that the girl died. And word comes from Jairus' house, hey, don't bother the the teacher. The girl's dead. Don't worry about it. And Jesus, hearing this, said to the parents, hey, don't listen to that. Let's go. Don't be afraid. Believe. And they walked to the house, and when they got to the house, the people were there doing what they do as a community. They were mourning the death of this little girl. They were crying. They were wailing. They were expressing their, their hurt to God. And Jesus said, why are you crying? The girl's asleep. And they began to laugh at him. And he said, get out. (laughs) Get out. And he ordered everyone to leave, and he had his disciples, and he had the parents of the girl there, and he took the girl by the hand. And he said in Aramaic, little girl, get up. And she got up. And she came back to life. She was 12 years old, Mark says. And I love just the compassion, the touch, because you obviously know that Jesus knows children. He says, she's hungry. Give her something to eat. Give her something to eat. Jesus has power to overcome the ultimate in evil. He has the power to overcome death. That is the testimony of Scripture. And the offering for us is this that even though these things happen two thousand years, Jesus is able, authorized, and willing to come overcome evil in our lives. And then a means in which we receive his blessing in these ways is witness for us in the story. If you look in your bulletins, if you have your in your Bibles, just, just check out what he says, how he says things to the individuals, and we see the clues by which how we can receive what Jesus offers. To the man freed from demon possession, he says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and here it is, and how he has had mercy on you. How do we receive? The power of Jesus to overcome evil in the spiritual, we receive it by seeking the mercy of God. By grace, the Bible says, by grace, by God's gift, the work of Jesus on the cross, buried and risen again from the tomb. By grace, a gift undeserved, by the mercy of God, through faith, we receive forgiveness. Jesus overcomes evil in our spiritual life if we pursue Him for mercy. To the woman cured of bleeding, He said this, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus overcame evil in the physical through the bold faith of this woman. We believe that if we trust in Jesus, even our prayers for physical healing will be heard because the means by which we receive the power of God through the name of Jesus to bring about healing in the physical happens through faith. And so we ask you to come forward if you have needs and we have elders who will lay their hands on you for prayer and we will pray for one another. This is is a gift that God gives and, and we pray for healing. In the physical, why? Because we believe that Jesus can overcome evil through faith. But ultimately, the struggles we have in the spiritual and the struggle that we have in the physical, ultimately these struggles really are secondary to the real issue because even though we may be freed from our spiritual torment in this world and even though we may be freed from the torment of our physical Every one of us, because of our sin, are destined to death. And every one of us will have to deal with the ultimate destination of evil in our lives, spiritual and physical, and that is in death. And the good news is that Jesus overcomes that too. And that, to me, is the most important of all things. To the parents of the dead daughter, this is what he said. Overhearing what they said, that she had already died, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. See, Jesus overcomes death, the ultimate destination of the physical and the spiritual evils of life. He overcomes that through resurrection. Don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus died on the cross, and the reason why he died was that he might pay the price that was due for every one of us because of our sin. But it could not stay there. No, sin still had the last say if he remained dead. No, Jesus had to be raised from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he was the first to provide a way for the many who believed in him, who are not afraid and just believe to have life too. Because one day, those of us, even though we might die in this world, will be raised to a new life. And remember what I said, we're not Just spiritual, and we're not just physical. We're spiritual, physical beings. And what does the Bible say? We will raise with new bodies, new spirits, renewed, purified, clean to be with him for eternity. You see, Jesus overcomes death through resurrection. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Now, here's the thing about this. Here's the so-what factor. As we read this story, you become aware of the fact that it would happen 2,000 years ago, and you might think, that was then. These people, I don't know what's going on. That was then. But let me just say this. If these things are true, and I believe they are, if Jesus cast out legion demons from a man, healed a woman bleeding for 12 years, when she simply touched in faith his robe, if he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, if those things are true, it don't matter that it happened 2,000 years ago. We better pay attention to this man. And the story is, is that he didn't die and stay dead, He came back to life. And if that's true, we better really pay attention to the claims of this man. And even though it happened 2,000 years ago, if these things are true, then as we read them, it's as if they're happening today. As we read them, it's as if we are witnessing the demons being cast out of the man. The woman being cured of her bleeding. Jairus' daughter being brought back to life. Jesus on the cross raised from the dead, giving his spirit and new life to those who believe. It's as if they were happening today, and we therefore have the same opportunity these folks who were there and present have to make a decision. To make a decision. Does Jesus overcome evil? And if he does, do I believe? Will I receive grace? Will I express a faith that's bold? Will I stop being afraid of death and just believe? Do I believe? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's the opportunity we provided. You know, we sing for many reasons at church. The uh, primary reason is that singing is a means in which we as a community, the many, can join together in one voice. Doesn't mean it's a nice, good, you know, pretty voice, but it's a one voice. That's how I sing. But we sing in one voice to music that connects us, that ties our hearts together. We sing in one voice, proclaiming what? What do we proclaim? We don't just sing words for words' sake. No, we proclaim what we believe. And in order to close this up, I'd like for us to, to sing together, and we're going to sing together words of faith regarding Jesus. And I'm going to invite you to sing. If you are a believer, this is an opportunity to have your faith strengthened to affirm that Jesus overcomes evil, spiritual, physical death. If you're investigating Christ, it's an opportunity for you to, to consider what we're saying and consider the testimony that has come to us over 2,000 years and us living out in front of you here in this community of faith, the church, because I'm sure you came to church because of a friend or you know someone or someone's here. This is an opportunity for you to express faith. Now, the song we're going to sing, here are the words. How great the chasm that lay between us. Talking about our condition in evil. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. The King of of Kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org, also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.